Okay, there we go. We're going to move into a time of prayer now. Take advantage of this time just to slow down our day and to reflect on what God has in store for us. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together this morning, Lord, to celebrate you as the Lord of our life, to celebrate the call that you would have on our hearts, to come here to celebrate you, to worship you through song, to listen to what you would have for us in a message brought by your spirit. So we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together to do that today. Lord, we know that we are an asking people in our prayers, Lord, but we, we turn and we also thank you. We know that uh, we don't always deserve the things that we ask, yet as, as such a good father, you let us do that anyway. We, uh, we lift up the, the several people who aren't feeling well this week, Lord. We know that um, quite a few people and, and children and, and everybody have colds, Lord, and we would just ask uh, your, hand, <clears throat> your hand be upon them today as they recover. Um, Lord, we know that um, these bodies get sick easy, and we, we thank you for the blessing that we give you or that you give us through everything, whether, whether we're feeling well or not, Lord, we know that you have a purpose in our life, Lord. So we submit to you this morning. We submit that the whispering of your spirit in our ear to do one thing or another, Lord, um, that we obey that, we hear it and listen for it, but obey it as we will hear scripture soon in a message that it's based, that, that's based on the scripture, Lord, we ask you to reveal to us how we can take that message and apply it to our lives today, Lord, to be good servants. Lord, we also lift up the, the ministries of the church in a in a difficult time where we're in between pastors, Lord, but we're not in between your will or what you would have us do. So Lord, the things that we have planned and, and that are upcoming, Lord, we would just ask that you bless those, Lord, and that, and that your love comes through those ministries and those events and all those things. We know that it comes right down to us sharing the love that you've given to us with others. So Lord, we just ask that in and through things around Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up that we can share your love and that somebody knows that that love is because of you, because of the sacrifice you made for our sinfulness. So, Lord, we, we lift up those ministries to you, Lord. Lord, as we continue the service now, be with us. Smiles on our faces and love in our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, awesome worship team. I always appreciate the music. It's good to see everybody in God's house this morning. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the many who have colds will probably listen online later, um, but it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, Kleenex are available throughout, I think, right? <laughs> um, several announcements. We actually, uh, we took away one slide for something that happened, but we added two more, so there's always, always things going on, so that's, that's certainly a blessing. Um, just a quick reminder about the Bible study opportunities that we have. We have a ladies' study that's Tuesday morning here at 10 a.m. Uh, we also have a men's and a ladies' study each Wednesday night at 6.30, and those are all here at the church. Um, so those are great opportunities to, to study. Uh, I think we're studying Ephesians and Hebrews right now, so uh, hope you can come and join us for that. Next Saturday, we have a men's breakfast um, right here at 9 a.m. Nate, is there anything we need to know for that? No? Just come and eat? Okay, great. So there'll be uh, breakfast, coffee, short devotion, all that stuff, so that's great. The ladies actually had theirs yesterday, so I, I saw... Very good? Yeah, good, good. So that's, uh, that's always nice. We're getting ready to set a date for... Um, a ministry partnership class or a membership class um, talks about the Wesleyan Church and what we believe and how you can partner with us for the things that we do. So um, there is a sign-up sheet on a little table in the back room. Um, just put your name on there if you're interested, and they're going to set when that's going to be based on the availability of those who sign up. Um, that'd be better than just picking a day that nobody could make, right? Uh, and for those who, who, if you're not always able to be here, which we certainly understand, um, we take a video of part of the service, and that goes on our Facebook page and our YouTube page. But we also have a podcast version of, like, from the prayer towards the end of the service that you can um, subscribe to on your phone through any of the podcast apps and just look for Mosaic Church Katyville um, on any of those apps, and you'll find it. Some, some things that are coming up. On uh, October 22nd, uh, Danamora is doing their village-wide trunk or treat. So we encourage you to sign up for that if you want to, um, you know, decorate your car and things like that. Let us know if you're going to go because we're going to print out some um, mosaic church, you are loved, kind of like little eight and a half by 11 that you can kind of put there on your, on your car as well, just so they kind of know that's uh, part of why we're there. And then some other, oh, and you can scan that code and that'll, that'll take you to the registration for your, for your car. Um, let's see, Operation Christmas Child, the shoebox ministry that's um, been going on forever. I don't know how, when it started, but um, these boxes are packed and sent to children that live overseas. And that is uh, their Christmas message and also um, a gospel message inserted in there as well. Some of these boxes are empty, and you can take one and fill it. Um, but we're also going to have some, uh, some videos probably on our um, Facebook page that shows you how to pack a box and what to do. Um, but you can just search for that. And that's the collection week. So this, wherever the Sunday fits around that is when uh, we'll collect all these boxes and take them down to the collection site in Plattsburgh. So that collects toys for kids that live far away. But we also wanted to do 
toys for kids who live more local. So we're going to collect new unused toys or un, unused, unwrapped, well new would be unused, unwrapped toys. We're going to collect those here and then we'll deliver those to the Christmas Bureau so that we're helping children overseas and but we're also helping kids local. So um, we'll have a collection date for the Christmas Bureau as that becomes available. But it's usually like beginning of December sometime. And if you have any questions on that, just let me know after. Um, we appreciate your faithful giving. Uh, we couldn't do what we do here uh, without it, and we thank you for that. There are different ways that you can give, either in person or online, uh, and those are up there for you. Uh, we also have collection boxes in the back. Um, you can also give towards inter international missionaries that we support. Right now, we support three families, the Whites, the Masseys, and the Schlegels. Um, and if you'd like to give towards those ministries, you can just designate missions in that part of your giving and, and that will go directly to support them. Um, did I miss any, Jay? I got them all, awesome. Uh, today our uh, speaker is Brad Varner. Uh, Brad's been with us a couple of times. We appreciate you coming. And, um, but before that, Nate, you're gonna come and read the scripture this morning. Thank you. Morning. So I'll be reading from John chapter 18, verses 36 through 38. Uh, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. <clears throat> Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say, I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So what is truth, Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime. Morning. I think I turned it on. Yes. Okay. All right, I got a couple things I'm going to set up here. Um, on the way in, I live in Vermontville, New York. It is beautiful out. I think this is peak weekend for leaves. So, um, do I need to do anything with this? Just put it on the ground over here. So many buttons. There we go. <clears throat> All right, so this morning, I wanted to start by sharing a story about a scientist. This, well, no, here we go. This scientist, uh, he loved frogs, okay? Like, it's, a, it's a, a scientist who, his specialty was frogs, okay? He, he trained them from when they were tadpoles, they grew up. He, I mean, just loves them, okay? Figured them all out. And so he decided, I'm going to do an experiment with uh, frogs. And the experiment was, he wanted to see how far they could jump, okay? So he took his favorite frog, and he said, okay, frog, jump. And he had trained them, so this frog jumps. And it jumps, and he writes down, okay, a frog with four legs can jump six feet. Pretty good. He said, all right, what if I removed a leg? Now, I know that's harsh, right? Like, you don't want to... 
He figured out frogs. He figured out he could, he could take them apart. He could fix them, put them back together. They were fine. Okay, it was great. So he takes off a leg of this frog, and he says, okay, frog, jump. And the frog with three legs jumps, and he writes down a frog with three legs can jump five feet. He takes off another leg, says jump frog, and the frog jumps, and he says, okay, a frog with two legs uh, can jump two feet. So he takes off uh, the last leg, okay? Uh, or sorry, the third leg, and he says, all right, jump. The frog with one leg jumps one foot. Then he takes off the last leg, so there, the frog has no legs. He says, okay, frog, jump. And the frog just lays there. And he's a little bit angry because he's like, I've, I've raised you since a tadpole. Why are you not listening to me? So he says it again, louder, frog, jump. And the frog doesn't jump, and so he writes down in his little notebook, says, a frog with no legs becomes deaf. <laughs> That's good stuff, right? <laughs> Dad joke. So hopefully you got that. A frog without legs doesn't jump because it's deaf because he doesn't have any legs, right? That's why. Okay. Just so you know, just so everybody gets that, right? Um, so we're going to talk a lot uh, today about logic and about truth. Um, my name is Brad Varner, as Jim said. Um, is this? Oh, no, no, no. I got to turn it on. Well, my, my thing here. Ah, oh, there we go. Per I, I, I did that. You did that? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so my name is Brad. Uh, this is my family. I was here, um, I think, in July. Um, and so those are my three kids and one wife. Um, Abby's in the middle. Andrew is uh, right next to me. Ben is the one that's yelling. Um, as he, that, he just yells a lot. Um, and then my wife, Brooke. Uh, we live in Vermontville. Um, and I work for an organization called Young Life. Uh, again, if you'd like to know more about Young Life, um, I'd be happy to share, um, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Um, I'm, I'm going to be talking about truth today. Um, last time I was here, I talked about the reliability of the Bible. Um, and if you weren't here for that, um, I had shared that there is a foundation to, of understanding to get to. Uh, we have to understand truth, the existence, the knowability. We have to understand, um, is it true that God exists? And then, then we can get to this idea of, okay, um, is the Bible reliable? Okay, so I kind of already shared the third section of that. What we're going to do now is rewind, and we're going to start right from the foundations of truth. Um, what that is called, if I didn't share this last time, it's called the classical apologetic for the Christian faith. Um, and so I want to uh, start with this idea of apologetics. And so I will just share the definition of apologetics. Christian apologetics isn't us going around as Christians apologizing for everything that we do, although sometimes we should, sometimes we shouldn't. Um, but apologetics is, comes from the word apologia. Okay, it's a Greek word, means make a defense, a reasoned statement or argument. You can have an apologetic for Judaism, for Christianity, for Islam, for Buddhism, it's Buddhism, it's, it's just the defense of something. Christian apologetics is making a defense using reasons, statements, or arguments for Christianity. It comes from 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. It says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense. That give a defense, that's apologia. That's the Greek word apologia. Give a defense to anyone who asks you 
for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. And so in some ways, we as Christians are all called to be able to give a defense, okay? To be able to um, give answers to the faith that we have. Christian apologetics, again, uh, making a defense using reasoned statements or arguments. Um, And so today, again, we're going to use logic and philosophy, some evidence, so that our arguments will follow from one thing to the next. Because we don't want to be like our scientists with the frogs, where we skip and make jumps that just don't make any sense at all. We don't want to do that. So, uh, here's, uh, here's the quick roadmap of the things that we're going to talk about. Today is what is truth. Uh, after today's, if I get the, the opportunity to come back, we'll talk about uh, does God exist. That's the one that I, again, I love this, that next one. This, but you have to talk about truth before we get to that. Um, if truth doesn't exist, then it's not true that God exists, right? So we've got to talk about truth and can we know it. Um, if, if it's true that God exists, then the possibility of miracle, miracles is a thing that is possible. And then we can finally get to the New Testament is true, which is what we have talked about, okay? The reliability of Scripture. So that's kind of our roadmap. Um, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So that's, again, the resurrection is a big deal. Someday I'm going to, maybe I'll come back and talk about just specifically the resurrection. I think that's a cool one um, to talk through. But again, today... What is truth? The Bible talks a lot about truth, right? The, the scripture that we read, uh, that's kind of what is truth that Pilate says. That's kind of the question that we're going to be asking. Um, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then this is part of what we read this morning. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? And again, I think that that's the question that a lot of our world and our culture is asking, right? What is truth? So we're going to get into a little bit of what is truth today. So we got to define it. In elementary school, I was told, never define a word using that same word in the definition, right? Right? That's, that's a thing. Here's the definition I looked up with truth. The state or quality of being, something being true. I just, I, elementary school, but then the dictionary. Anyway, that's just like totally a side note that I just get, I'm still frustrated with. So you keep going further, and it says this, that which is true, okay, or this is where it gets better, in accordance with fact or reality. So truth, here's how we're going to define truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality, okay? Now that's actually called the correspondence theory of truth. There are different theories of truth, okay? There are lots of different philosophies, lots of different theories of truth, All of the other theories of truth actually rely on the correspondence theory of truth. Okay, that which corresponds to reality. Essentially, truth is telling it like it is. Okay, now some of this you might be thinking, you're preaching to the choir, but friends, our our world and our society, these are some foundational things that is getting confused. So truth is telling it like it is. 
I want to give us an example, okay? There's a little red ball. Now I can say that the ball is red. That's actually something called the law of identity. That's not a theory of identity. That's not, you know, this, this is a principle. This is a law. A equals A, okay? It's identifying that which is. If the ball is red, then I'm telling the truth. Now, I use something called the law of non-contradiction as well. It's the second, one of the second laws of logic, okay? I just think that's a funny picture because it's obviously contradicting itself. The law of non-contradiction helps us to discover what's false. So meaning this, if A equals A, A doesn't equal B, right? A doesn't equal C, A doesn't equal D, A equals A. The definition of the law of non-contradiction is this, that opposite ideas cannot both be true, okay? Opposite ideas can't both be true at the same time and in the same sense. And those are two things uh, that are important. Uh, let, me, let me go back to the ball uh, example. I can say one of two things, that the ball is red, or I can say that the ball is not red, okay? But using the law of non-contradiction, both of those can't be right. But let's go back to the law of non-contradiction. Opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time. What do I mean by the same time? Well, if I spray-painted that ball blue, Tomorrow, the ball would be blue. I'm talking about right now, okay? And these are some of the things, again, that gets confused at the same time and in the same sense. And I think this is the one in the same sense that gets really confused and manipulated in our society and in our world, different senses. Let me say this. The ball is blue. Can that be true? I just got done saying that the ball is red, right? Can it be true that the ball is blue? It can be in a different sense. Think about it this way. Let's say I was writing a little kid's book and there was a little red ball that had feelings and a personality. And in this field, this ball is sitting in the grass not being played with. And so this ball is sad. And sometimes we use sad, we say blue. So I can actually say that the little red ball is blue because the little red ball is sad. But it's a different sense, right? We're talking about feelings. We're not talking about color. It's different senses. Uh, here's another one. Um, I, I had a friend that he would always just say, oh, dude, that was so sick. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, sometimes the word sick means really awesome. Hey, that was just super cool. John went skiing and he was sick. Well, if you didn't see that picture, did he get, was he skiing and did he throw up? I don't know. No, he just did a really cool trick. John went skiing and he was sick. It's a different sense, right? Now, this is a little bit of a side note. Um, in our world, people use different senses in these very sly under under i guess just ways that you, they don't whether they know it or not they use it and they manipulate uh, here's one in terms of the bible that i've heard i've heard people affirm the inspiration of the bible as though i were inspired to put this together hey, i'm inspired to go for a run well, when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, we mean that God himself breathed out the Bible using human authors. Not that it is a human book that, somebody, so that the people were inspired to write. Hey, I had a great day. I'm going to write this stuff. 
No, we mean that God inspired, like he breathed out, he inspired the Bible. So um, this is one of those things that in certain parts of um, Christianity, people are saying, no, the Bible's inspired in a different way, but they'll use that word in a different sense, along the way that we would say, um, does that make sense? Like it's, it's, we, we mean it in one way that God did it and somebody else would mean it in a different. So anyway, that's just a different, that's just kind of an example and a side note on that. There's a great book called Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, if you've not read it or haven't heard of it, it's a, f- a phenomenal book. But in it, um, I think it's Hillary Farrar, I think that's the author, but Mama Bear Apologetics, he coins a term called linguistic theft. And it's something that happens in our world and our culture, and that's what it is. It's taking the same word, giving it a different meaning, or using it in a different sense, but using it in mainstream conversation. All right, so let's go back to the uh, law of non-contradiction. <clears throat> it is, um, it's undeniable. The law of non-contradiction is undeniable. Now, there's a uh, great quote, oh, sorry, uh, by a medieval philosopher. I'm going to say medieval philosopher. Just, just know it's way back in the medieval times, okay? Because this quote it is what it is, but I'm going to share it with you. It says this. Uh, I haven't seen it. He's a great medieval philosopher. It says, anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as not to be beaten, and to be burned is not the same as not to be burned. That's harsh. I get it. That's a little harsh. Medieval, right? I don't know. That's how they did things back then. Um, maybe say it this way. If, uh, if someone asks, or sorry, ask someone to borrow 20 bucks, say a $20 bill. When they hand it to you, tear it up and burn it. I would bet that they would say that a $20 bill torn up and burned is not the same as a $20 bill that's not torn up and not burned. People will deny the law of non-contradiction. They will say, no, you can have both. You can have everything. You can't. People that deny it use it practically in their everyday lives. Um, That's kind of the that's the point. Don't actually take $20 and burn it. That would not be healthy and, you know, communicating the gospel and scripture. That wouldn't be nice. Don't do that. But it gets the point across. Other people will say, well, what about opinions? Okay, people try to find loopholes in truth. They try to figure out um, how can I get around something being true because everybody wants everything in the different ways and all that stuff. How do I get around truth? Well, what about different opinions? Can subjective opinion be true? I like this kind of ice cream. You like that kind of ice cream. So I want to talk about ice cream. Chocolate chip cookie dough is by far the best flavor of ice cream, especially from Stewart's. Okay. Now, yes, that's an opinion. It might be true for me, but not true for you. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Oh, it's true for me, but not for you. But it's true for me and it's true for you that I think that chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream is the best flavor of ice cream. Subjective opinion does not negate the fact that objective of truth exists. We can't confuse those two things. That's what our world does. That's what our culture does. Truth comes from within in our culture and in our world. Truth is not does not come from within. It's this category mistake. It's a categorical mistake. And here's what I mean. There's a category of objective truth, okay? And then there's the category of subjective opinion. We cannot confuse those two things. And this is one of the biggest things that gets confused in our world today. It is objectively true that ice cream can rot your teeth. It is my subjective opinion that the best way to rot your teeth is through chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. 
we can't confuse those two things. So let's look at some of the objections. Uh, can we, for a moment, just for a moment, Your Honor, ignore the facts? Um, I don't know. I think that's funny because that's just what I feel like that's what happens every day. Uh, so what are some of these objections um, in our world about truth? Number one, you might hear people just say there is no truth. Like it's relative, uh, subjective, okay? Relative and subjective. It's called relativism. Um, there is an outright denial of truth. How would we respond to that if somebody denies that? We're going to talk about that in a second. What about this one? That's true for me, but not for you. So they would say, well, okay, truth exists, but it's subjective. It comes from within. How would we respond to someone when they respond, when they say that to you? And then this other one, you can't know the truth. So if somebody might say, hey, truth does exist. It is actually objective, but there's just no way for us to know it. Okay, and we're going to, this is, we're getting into epistemology here a little bit. Um, so we're going to respond to some of these objections, okay? Because I think this is stuff that you'll hear in one way or another um, if you are alive in the world today. Uh, we have a really good tool to answer these objections. It's something called applying the claim to itself, okay? What do I mean by applying the claim to itself? <clears throat> Here's what it is. If somebody were to say to you, I can't speak a word in English, what do you say? How do you apply that claim to itself? Didn't you just say that in English, right? Because if somebody says, I can't speak a word in English, but they say it in English, then they just, they're like Wiley e. Coyote. The person making that claim has no ground to stand on. It's, it's something called a self-defeating argument. It points out, it's a question that points out how uh, the claim defeats itself. And here's where I think this tool is really effective in our world. Um, the best way to, to lead somebody to something is not to just be louder or be the one that, that just says, no, you're wrong. No, it's to ask them questions. If we can get good at this, at asking questions to show somebody how their claim defeats itself or doesn't, has no ground to stand on, that's way more effective than just being loud and saying, no, you're wrong, truth does exist. Um, all right, so what about this one? Um, I think this was probably the, the easiest one. There is no truth. I think I might have shared this um, in my last presentation. Uh, what do you say to this? We say, is that true? If it's true that truth doesn't exist, then truth does exist because the statement itself is true. I had to practice that a couple times. <laughs> Means that it's a self-defeating claim. Here's one that people will say, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? Right? Some of these things, it's just, that's just what it, people will say this. I've heard, I've heard high school and middle school kids say this because they see it on a meme on Instagram and they spit it out and then I ask them this question and their heads explode. Not really, but they're like, what? And like steam starts coming out. What about this one? It's true for me, but not for you. Again, this is a categorical mistake. Um, objective truth versus subjective opinion. What do you say to that one? If somebody says, well, it's true for me, but not for you, you can say, well, is that true for everyone? Now, I know some of these might give you constipation of the brain. Like, it's just like, oh, I just don't. If you think about these long enough, you can see how the claims defeat themselves. All right, so 
find truth exists. You can, let's say you get somebody to, to the fact that truth exists, but we cannot know truth. Is this true or false? You're a teacher, right? Have you ever had a kid do that? <laughs> the ant red X. Okay. I just think that's funny. Um, so people will get, I think that this is where one of the things we're getting to is that people, you can get somebody to say, okay, truth does exist, but you just can't know. We can never know it. Um, and here's the question then, right? Can we know every truth? Um, I just got done talking about this fact that truth does exist. Uh, we have to clarify what we mean by the word know. Um, and again, I don't think we can, quote unquote, know every truth 100% beyond any doubt. I'm going to talk about that. This is something called epistemology. And this could be a whole other presentation. We're not going to get into it. But epistemology is how we know what we know. Right? And so we're talking about that a little bit. Um, when we talk about knowing and knowing every truth, we have to go into the court of law. Okay? Um, at least I think this is one of the best pictures of knowing uh, that we have. We have to, to, make the, to discern the difference between beyond any doubt and beyond a reasonable doubt. In the court of law, if you go into like a murder trial, jurors are, set, are told, hey, you don't have to be convinced beyond any doubt, but beyond a reasonable doubt. If we had to convict someone beyond any doubt, you'd never convict anybody. That's the whole point of the defense, is to put some type of question in there. So we have to look at what's the best explanation for the evidence. So let me give us an example. Here's my statement. I'm Brad Varner. I'm currently at Mosaic Church giving a sermon, okay? Now, the evidence for that is pretty strong, I think. You guys see me, you hear me, you could come up, you could shake my hand if you wanted to, um, but I'm going to put some doubt in. What if I was the smartest person alive, like I taught Elon Musk everything he knows about cars and Teslas and all that stuff. I'm the smartest person alive, okay? I could be on this another level of engineering, and I engineered a robot like no one has ever done in the history of the world to look like me, sound like me, to give me the same mannerisms as me, and that is what's up here now giving a sermon. I'm actually out fishing because I like fishing. Can you disprove that right now sitting where you are? Maybe you're thinking about it, but here's the deal. The evidence is pretty darn strong that that's not true, right? But there's another possibility. <clears throat> now, if we use the law of non-contradiction, either I am here or I'm not, right? That's why we talked about the law of non-contradiction. Either I'm here or I'm not. Which one has the most evidence for it? Well, the most evidence is that I'm actually standing here right now. If you knew me, Jim knows me. Jim's like, you don't even have time to, to learn robotics. Like, it's just, the evidence, I'm here, right? Um, think about uh, the chair that you are sitting in. When you sat down, did you know that that chair was going to hold you? Probably subconsciously, you just looked at that chair and was like, oh, it's a sturdy chair, and you sat down. But could it have been the one time in a million that it sat down and there was a, a, a hairline fracture underneath it, it collapsed? It could have been. 
when we talk about epistemology, when we talk about uh, beyond any doubt and beyond a reasonable doubt, we got to talk about faith and trust. I'm going to use these two words somewhat interchangeably. Um, the word faith, okay, in the Bible, in the Greek, it, it's a word called pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means this. It means to put your full trust and weight into something. Sometimes it takes more faith, takes more trust to believe something is true. And sometimes it just takes less faith, right? It doesn't take much faith to, to say that I'm standing up here. It didn't take much faith for you to look at that chair and say, oh yeah, this chair is going to hold me. You probably didn't pick up the chair and turn it around upside. You probably didn't do that. You probably just sat down in it, okay? You knew, talked about the word no, I know that this chair is going to hold me. Well, you knew because of a large probability that it would hold you. You knew reasonably that it would hold you. And so, if we can get to that point with someone, to start talking about, look at the evidence for what we have, and that we actually, you use this idea of knowing beyond a reasonable doubt every single day. If we can get to that point in a conversation or a relationship with someone, and I do this with high school and middle school kids all the time, then we can say, is it true that God exists? And then you can start to examine this evidence for the existence of God. Because again, either God exists or God does not exist. It's one of the two. They're opposites, right? And so we use our law of non-contradiction, and then I think that we can answer that question when we start looking at some of this stuff that's all around our world. If you just go out and drive through the Adirondacks right now and just look at the creation, I mean, that's evidence, right? I think that God is the best explana explanation by far. So the next time I, have, I get to come, that's the one that I'm going to have the opportunity to share about. Um, so that's, that's kind of the presentation, that's kind of the block, the foundation before I move on to the next. I want to... Um, I want to share one more thing. Uh, a lot of what I shared this morning is really for equipping, right? My hope was to, to equip us to, to ask questions, to engage with folks, um, help people. You know, the first time you use this self-defeating argument, these questions where you turn the claim on itself and you see somebody's wheels turning, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but again, th this was to equip. I want to encourage you. I got two minutes. I just want to encourage you with something else. At the, at the very beginning, I said this, or I shared this verse. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we just talked a lot about truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. What does it mean for Jesus to be the truth? In John 8, Jesus also tells us this. He says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, Jesus is actually referencing something. He's actually referencing Exodus 3.14. He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So what does it mean that Jesus would reference this? means that, so God, right here, this idea, I am who I am, he is the self-existent one. God has no beginning, no end. 
God created absolutely everything. God is reality. Like he has, his existence is held within him. And that means all truth is God's truth. And so here's the deal. If you want to seek truth, if we want to find what's true, what's real, Jesus tells, tells us that you will find it in him. So as we go about our days, and you want to appoint somebody to the truth, it, it is held within Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then uh, I'll be done. Lord, thanks for this morning and for time to process through what it means for you to be the truth. Lord, you are the one who is the Alpha, the Omega, before all things. Lord, you will never end. And Lord, uh, we are so thankful for the truth of your resurrection that we that we find life in you lord that you came to this to this world that you died and you rose again so that we can have a relationship with you lord that is just incredible so lord we are um we we are in the midst of a a world and a society that doesn't know truth. And Lord, thankfully, we know, we know the truth. We know you. And so Lord, um, I pray that as we interact and we go about our days, that, that we can stand firm in the fact that we are standing in the truth and that we have the answer of life to give to other people. Amen.